At Baker's, fresh groceries are our thing, so we check your delivery order for freshness at every step from farm to store and pick and pack every veggie in your free pickup order with care because we treat your food the way we'd want ours to be treated. We're fresh every day, so shop anyway. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show, one in which we say a massive thank you to Luol Deng, who officially retired today and did so as a Chicago Bull, which was a nice touch for everyone involved. For those that may have missed it, the Bulls signed Deng to a ceremonial deal, effectively signing him for the day. That way, he could officially retire as a Chicago Bull, as he should. We don't want him retiring as a Minnesota Timberwolf or as a Los Angeles Laker or, as a, or even a Cleveland Cavalier player. Lowell Deng was a Chicago Bull and he retires as a Bull, which was great to see. So that was a great day to kick off yesterday. And look, everyone who has ties with the Bulls was hit in the nostalgic feels yesterday. When We'll definitely come back and talk about Lowell Deng a little bit later in the show. But first up, we need to talk about the Bulls' impressive win against the Atlanta Hawks in their final preseason game. And here to help me to break down this game is my old friend, Morton Jensen. Morton, how are you doing, mate? Hey, Mark. I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing well, mate. It is a Friday evening for me here as we are recording, and I am very happy that the weekend is here. I'm very happy the preseason basketball is done. We're getting closer to the regular season, and I'm even happier because the Bulls have had themselves a strong preseason campaign, which they've sort of finished off here against the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. No, it's it's been... Oh, what's the word? Fun. Fun. Yeah. What what a weird word to associate with the Chicago Bulls these days. I know. Yeah. It has been it has been so fun. Like even in their losses, like we don't give a shit about results in preseason. We don't necessarily care about that. But it, I mean, even in their losses, it's been fun to watch to the point where even if they're dropping some games in the regular season, so long as they're playing with this type of brand of basketball, I think we can take a few L's here and there. Obviously we want to see the team win as much as we can. But uh, yeah, the way they're playing is exciting. It's a it's a modern brand of basketball. They're moving the ball, sharing the ball. Players have clearly come in and bought into what Boylan has been selling, what Fleming has been selling, and all that sort of stuff. So everything is looking pretty good at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Kobe White has been a revelation. He, he just seems to fit that system so well. Yeah, he's so much more advanced or, where, or in front of where at least I my expectations were and at least where my thinking his development curve was. I was not expecting him to have the game that he had against the Atlanta Hawks, dropping 29 points off the bench, 6 of 8 threes, 10 of 14 shootings in 23 minutes. I mean, that's, that's seasoned sixth-man type numbers and for a guy to be doing that in his fifth professional game, it, it's kind of ridiculous considering he's a 19-year-old guard learning how to... Not only learning how to be a guard in the NBA, but learning how to be an NBA player. Well, remember, he's not a guard. He's a baller. He, <laughs> that is true. I mean, Jim Boylan was right. He is a baller. Whatever the hell that means. He is a baller. So he, he, he's clearly good at that. But yeah, he, he's so 
so more advanced than what I thought he would be, which is a pleasant surprise thus far. Hopefully it maintains into the regular season. What I was really surprised about, you know, how he struggled mightily from downtown in, in summer league. I mm. was slightly concerned coming in that he had just basically um, been, been utilizing the, the NCAA three-point line to his advantage because it's a slight, it's a bit shorter. Uh, and then he, he just completely proved me wrong here in the preseason, which which is lovely. Uh, I mean, you know, because if, if he had to kind of adjust to the longer line uh, and, and that would have been a season-long progress, he, he more likely would have struggled. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be an success, but the fact that he can consistently hit that three and it seems like the shot is just, it's in his wrist all the way. And it's the same damn shot every time. That just, that leads to to so much more potential from him as a shooter. I really like that. I mean, when he, whenever he rises up for three now, I'm very confident it's going to go in. Yeah, I mean, this this relates to his shooting for sure, but I felt, I felt it sort of related to his more general game as well. He just seemed like he was in more in rhythm more generally with the offense. He wasn't necessarily forcing things. He looked more in control the whole game. And I think for that reason, I mean, points aside, it was clearly his highest scoring output in the preseason right. thus far. He had 24 previously against the Pacers, but he did that on 22 shots, whereas here he, did, he had 29 points on 14 shots, but none of those 14 shots felt forced None of them felt rushed. Like I said, they were in rhythm. They are in the rhythm of his own jumper, but in rhythm of the uh, the entire offense. So this was easily his best preseason game, not necessarily just because of what he scored, but the way he sort of fit into the offense. Yeah. I mean, he's a great catch-and-shoot player. I mean, we yeah. knew that coming in, mm-hmm. um, both from the mid-range and from the three-point line in that sense. Uh, but what, I, what surprised me is you know, just the way that he manufactures shots off the dribble. Uh, against NBA defenses. Like, yeah, one thing is you can do it against college guys, but he's doing this against rotation player veterans, like in the NBA, just dribbling past them, weaving his way through and finding open shots, whether that be mid-range or layups, or he's just so creative. And the way that he just runs up the court, it seems like Chris Dunn has actually picked up a little bit from, from, from Kobe White. Like whenever those two guys now are dribbling up the court, whether it's off a score or a miss, like they're in a rush almost. I love it because then you get into the front court. There's you know almost twenty seconds left on the shot clock. So if you know a couple of actions doesn't work, you can revert back and restart. I love it. It's it's complete. I mean, it's basic, but the Bulls haven't done that in four years. Yeah, and particularly with a young, inexperienced team learning how to be NBA players. You want them getting the best and most efficient shots, but you also want them having the most opportunities they possibly can to get get a score. And if that means play a little bit quicker and you get into your sets a little bit quicker, maybe you can run two or three actions instead of one or two. And that can be beneficial to a player like Kobe White. You mentioned Chris Dunn. I definitely want to talk about him later because he was fantastic against the Hawks. It was it was an odd game from Dunn, given that if you look at the box score, but he was he, he's, uh, his game today was much more... Or it measured beyond the box score itself. But we're, we're sitting here talking about Kobe White's offense, and it would be remiss of us not to mention Zach Levine and, and his offense. Well, more broadly in this preseason, but spe- specifically against the Hawks, it capped off just an insane preseason campaign for Zach Levine. And I wonder if he's, if I wonder if Kobe White has sort of learned a couple of things from Zach Levine watching him from the sidelines because he has been just in awesome form scoring the ball for the Bulls during this five game preseason campaign. So the thing about Sack is, like, he's entering, what is that, year six, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, for many NBA players, they when they are entering their mid twenties and they've had at least half a decade in the league, the game begins to slow down. It be, they begin to feel so comfortable on the NBA floor that they can sort of pick and choose their spots more carefully. They feel completely dominant in the sense of when I have the basketball, I can I can create X, and I know that I can do that consistently. Sack is reaching that point. Um, and I'll be completely honest. I never thought his ceiling would be this high, but it is. And that's, that's great for the Bulls. That's great for Sack. You know, the NBA is a way better product when, when players who, you know, you, who you may, you know, initially didn't think were, were going to be potential all-stars are going to be all-stars. And for Sack, he, he, I mean, the way that he is finding and locating shots these days, it's just uncanny. When he's running fast, he's like he's just putting on the jets. And then he slows down when he's like a foot almost near the rim, just forcing the defender to backpedal and boom, there's an open layup. He's become so smart at just creating shots around the basket. Um, he's more accepting of the three-point shot. Everything just seems to be coming up millhouse for him. I mean, yeah, you mentioned there that the the game has slowed down for Zach Levine, but the game has also opened up, or at least the court has also opened up for Zach yes. Levine, and I think that certainly have, has helped his development here. And obviously, it's a credit to him because he's been able to have defenses sort of fretting, I guess, because they're so scared of that first step. But the Bulls have built a roster around him now, where he well, he's playing in four, at least four out lineups, sometimes five out lineups, depending on what the combination Boylan is throwing out there. And with a player like Zach Levine, who just has that huge explosive first step, you put a five a five man out sort of lineup out there. I mean, good luck trying to stop him getting in the lane. And he was doing that consistently against the Hawks team, who is not a good defense. We we should put that out there. Right. But he was consistently getting in, into the lane, and he was really creating a, a lot for Wendell Carter. He was trying to really get Wendell Carter into the game, which I like to see. He, he missed Larry Markkinen a couple times at the three point line, but I think once Zach sort of gets down and sort of got his head down and driving to the basket he's more than happy to dump it off to that pick and roll man and he and Wendell Carter have a good combination something that started at the the start of last season really but I was happy to see Zach trying to initiate and getting Carter involved but going back to Zach scoring he's essentially putting up the exact same numbers that he did last regular season in the preseason but doing so in 10 less minutes that's how damn uber efficient (laughs) he's been and how productive he's been so it's kind of unreal yeah, it, it is. It's just remarkable. Obviously, preseason, so it needs to come with some sort of caveat. But um, he looks the way that he should be looking is is basically what I'm going to say. I mean, if he just takes a step up uh, this year, I mean, he's an all-star for sure. By the way, are you also slightly confused about all the talk about Sack having to become efficient when last year he had a true shooting percentage of 57 like I, I get that that's not like super duper elite, like Kevin Durant in the '60s or anything, but like I think all the talk, both on Twitter and you know articles all around the web, suggesting that Zach was inefficient last year, that that seems a little dumb, doesn't it? Yeah, the whole conversation, and I haven't had a chance to talk about it because it sort of happened after my last my last show. But the whole conversation about him in the mid range game and all this sort of stuff, it's just been blown out of just been blown out of proportion, and just because of one stupid article and. Yeah, I mean, Zach was a very good scorer last season, bouncing back from his ACL season or ACL tear previous from the previous season. Yeah. So 
considering that, and he still averaged, like you said, a 57 true shooting percentage, which is above league average, that is mm. pretty damn good. And you can assume that that number is going to go up, particularly if he's going to be taking more threes or the same rate of threes that he has been thus far in preseason. Almost 50% of his field goal attempts are three-pointers at this point. It's about 45%, something in that vicinity. So Zach is probably going to be as closer to a 60, 60% true shooting, shooting player. And yeah, the whole, the whole talk about his offensive game, him not being efficient, I think it's been completely overblown. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of it's sort of been drawn out, at least nationally, based on probably people who didn't watch a lot of Bulls games last season, which right. I understand why people wouldn't want to do watch a Bulls game last season, but it's not hard to just jump on basketball reference, check the true shooting percentage column and see that he was above league average. He was a good scorer, an efficient scorer last season. Right. So the lesson of the day, never listen to Joe Cowley. Well, yes. Well, that, that's a lesson for every day. But um, yeah, I, I, this whole conversation about Zach just loving the mid-range game or well, not necessarily loving where the NBA is going, it's just completely ridiculous. But I mean, he among the entire team have responded to what Boyle and what Fleming have wanted the team to be doing from an offensive standpoint. The team, again, had over 43s attempted today against the Atlanta Hawks. I think it was 46. Yeah. They had 48 or 49 the other day, I think it was. The, this preseason campaign through five games, they've, they're just a, sh- a tick under 43-point attempts per game. And this is the kind of stat that generally carries over into the regular season. So it's possible that the Bulls are going to be one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league from a percentage standpoint, but also obviously from an attempt standpoint. And Zach is spearheading that. So this whole talk about him not necessarily liking the way the game's going, it's it's not necessarily reflective in his play. Agreed. I think for for Zach to reach that that level that he's trying to get to, um, the magic number is going to be eight. If he can have eight three-point field goal attempts per game and eight three-throw attempts, I mean, he's going to be looking good, statistically speaking. Yeah, for sure. And we talked about true shooting shooting percentage before. Things that drive that number off are three-point attempts and then free-throw attempts. You you convert them at a a solid rate. Your true shooting percentage is going to be nice and healthy. And that's what Zach has been playing that way. So I think he's in for a huge season. I love the way he's come out. and he's, He's clearly sending a message. A lot of the talk has been about him trying to be an all-star. I, I don't know how that sat, sat with me, I guess. I, I didn't want that necessarily to become the theme of the season, Zach Levine's pursuit of an all-star berth versus what the team goals were. But if he keeps playing like this, then he's, he's almost a lock for being an all-star. And, and I hope that I hope that obviously continues because he's obviously put in the work. But yeah, he's been fantastic this preseason. I mentioned Chris Dunn before. I want to talk about Dunn because mm. typically when we talk about Chris Dunn, it's, it's almost always in a negative connotation i suppose or is always about trade speculation will he will he or won't be be part of the team and that is still a relevant conversation to have and it will see something that continues over the next few months but i think chris dunn deserves some credit today and it was pretty clear that he took this matchup against trey young pretty personally well you mean that he is frustrated that a guy who put 49 on him that and the way, just the way he goes about it. I don't think I've... Uh, Chris Dunn always plays hard. He always plays defense, but it just ticks up another level against Trey Young, maybe because of what we saw last season. But those two got into it a little bit last season, and it's clearly carried over into this year as well. They're not friends, let's put it that way. Yeah. No, I think when Chris Dunn challenges inner Tony Allen, that's when we get the best version of him. Um, you know, just as observers looking at a guy who... You know, used to be very, very frustrated at not getting pick and roll options or getting X amount of shots. Just him putting that 
to the curb and just saying, okay, I need to come out and be influential in whatever capacity I can be. And most of the time, that's going to be defense. It's going to be rebounding. It's going to find a loose ball and, and just throw it down the court for some of the guys who leak out. That's what he did against the Hawks. And and you're right. When you look at the box score, it says 20 minutes plays, played. It's at zero points, 0 for 4 from the, from the field, including 0 for 3 from downtown. So when you look at the scoring, you think, oh, what a stinker. But no, he just he threw in five boards, three assists, three steals, and the defense that you talked about on on Trey Young for Dunn was just outstanding. Like he's still six four and has ungodly long arms, like seven foot wingspan almost, I would reckon. Um he can be such a disruptive defender when he puts all his energy into that. And I think that's probably what we're going to see this year at least that should be the hope I think that's the best NBA version of Chris Dunn there is so hopefully he buys into that that would be that that would also for him and his continued career would be a great bet I don't think he's ever going to be what he really wanted to be initially like a Dwayne Wade clone no I don't think so I think that ship is sailed but he's saying all the right things which he deserves credit for and he's clearly it, it would appear at this point at least that he's buying into what Boylan is asking him what to, to, right. to do and he's essentially in the right role for him now he can go out there and play 20-25 minutes a game and he can be super aggressive he had three fouls picked them up in the first 10 minutes he was out there but he can afford to do that and the Bulls can afford him to do that because he's no longer the starting point guard we think back to the last couple seasons Chris Dunn picks up two quick fouls all of a sudden and then your your weak point guard rotation is really relying on Ryan Archidiakno, Shaq Harrison, Jerry Jerry Grant at some points. Like there was bad backups behind him. Whereas now Chris Dunn is the backup. He can go out there and be aggressive. He can really be a hawk on defense like he was today. And yeah, the the box the box score doesn't tell the true story. Even though it does say he was a plus twenty seven, which is a I think third highest on the team behind Kobe White and Thad Young. Mm. But he was so aggressive out there where the point his defense was actually creating points for, for, for players. He was a few times he tipped the ball. Uh, Wendell Carter got on the end of one of them, threw down a, a dunk in transition. The same thing happened with Kobe White. Chris Dunn forced a, a steal. White got on the end of it and he threw down a nice transition dunk. So even though Dunn didn't necessarily score himself, his defense, his hustle on, on Trey Young was actually creating points for the Bulls. Yeah. No, I mean, he's doing, it sounds cliche, but he's doing a lot of the things that doesn't show up in the, in the stat sheet necessarily. Um, you can't really measure high intensity on ball defense if it doesn't, you know, lead to a steal necessarily, but just getting into Trey Young's head, making him frustrated, making him force shots, uh, making him give the ball up. Like there was a point where, you know, during that sequence where he'd just been just gluing himself onto Trey Young. Where DeAndre Bembry had the ball and Young was calling for it and Bembry just ignored him. Like, no, you have Chris Don on you. He's just been basically owning your ass for the fat past, you know, two minutes. I'm going to move the ball in a different direction. Well, that's job done. That's, that is something that effectively changes the game and doesn't show up on any stat sheet. So I'm very optimistic about what Dunn is, is doing right now. And I have to wonder, you know, he, I think. We talk about Kobe White as a positionless player because, like, he's just a baller. I think Dunn is somewhere in that same range right now. Like, he's coming up as a backup, but he can play one, two, maybe even the three because of his long wingspan and defensive um, ability. 
maybe he's the guy moving forward who where you say, okay, the Bulls are short on wings. Maybe just make Chris Dunn that wing. Yeah, I think it's in play and it's clear. We'll talk rotation soon, but it's clear that Jim Boylan at the moment, based on what we've seen in the last two games in particular, I think he's more than comfortable in running three point guards out there as his backups. And I guess one or two of those guys are technically guarding a wing out there. So he's got Chris Dunn, he's got Kobe White, and he's got Ryan Archidiakon in that lineup. And obviously that does not include players like Denzel Valentine or any other more traditional type wing. So Boylan is running a three-guard lineup off the bench, which to me makes sense based on the way the the rest of the team is sort of performing. I guess they've got the third string guys. There isn't necessarily a wing on there that's worth a damn that, that you would want to put a, a, above any of those three. So Dunn will be taking those defensive assignments in that sort of bench unit. And that makes complete sense to me. And because you are running that three-point guard lineup around Thad and, and and Luke Cornett, you don't necessarily need a dedicated backup point guard who, who is the guy that's sort of running that entire second unit because one of those three can get the offense going. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, eventually that might change. You know, at some point it might make sense to get someone off the bench who who runs that entire unit. But as currently constructed, I think this is the best option to go with. Just having a sort of shared responsibility set up where, you know, guards aren't necessarily pigeonholed into being like the traditional 10 cents point guards. Even though I, I think Ryan Archidiakono would be okay with that. But like White or Dunn, who can switch onto so many different positions... It, it just makes sense to have like a sort of non-positional system uh, off the bench. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that I think the rotation makes a lot of sense at the moment. Like I said, we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've seen from Boylan from a rotation standpoint. At the moment, though, I want to transition into the front court. I want to talk Wendell Carter and I want to talk Larry Markin. But before we do that, I want to take a break and tell the listeners about this week's sponsors. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming, expensive, and there's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Bulls HQ listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. It's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering in your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Also on the podcast this week, I want to tell you about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe and totally discreet. 
With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find your best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Again, that's getroman.com slash bluewire. Alright, back to the show now. We want to talk front court more. We want to talk Wendell Carter, who before the game, we weren't sure if he was even going to suit up in this one. Unfortunately, another injury for Wendell Carter. I guess it seemed minor given he did play in this game, but it was a thumb injury. He did look a bit rusty, as we would, I guess, expect him to look rusty regardless of that injury. But oh, I just want this guy to stay healthy because he's so damn important to this Bulls squad. But yeah. when I saw that, when I saw that tweet come through with the thumb injury, I, I, I was concerned that he's going to miss the, this game, but also potentially miss the start of the season. But he came back. He looks solid. Still probably isn't moving as well as he can be. He admitted after the game that he's still got some work to do on his conditioning, which, again, because he's missed time during the offseason, that makes complete sense. But eight points, eight rebounds for Wendell, three blocks. He was protecting the rim, and uh, I'm excited this, that this guy is back. Oh, for sure. I mean, I still consider him as as the highest uh, ceiling player on the Bulls in terms of two-way potential, he, because yeah. that's not saying he's going to be as great a scorer as Zach Levine. I don't think that ever happens. But in terms of just a guy who's who can be used to some sort of Swiss army knife, you know, he can, he can practically do everything. And we saw that last night. I mean, he had some great passes around, the, you know, during this game that didn't necessarily lead to us. He had a wonderful touch pass also down to Otto Porter from downtown. Uh, I think that went in. And he had different looks where he got the ball in the post, saw that the, the defense was about to collapse, and just whip passes outside to the three-point line for shooters. It, it, it's just the court vision for a guy who's 20 years old, combined with the fact that he can defend the rim, he can rebound, and he can actually put some points on the table. I know that he wasn't efficient last night. He was three of nine. But, I mean, he did miss some bunnies around the rim. Though When he yeah. gets into game rhythm and he, you know his conditioning improves, I have to assume that he finishes those. So... This is a guy who can do everything. It's it's he's so important. He also let the team in plus minus in the start or, or let the starting lineup in plus minus, I should say. Uh, he is just an influential player. What I want to you know see from him is maybe shed just a little bit of weight because he came in uh, this year at two seventy three, which which is eighteen pounds uh, more than last year. And he, it does appear that it slowed him down just a little bit. I know that his body fat percentage is the same, um, 6%, which is <laughs> incredibly lean. Yeah, I don't but, believe that. And for one second, is he 6%? But go on, I'll, I'm yeah. derailing that. Yeah, but I mean, it's yeah, he, he looks a bit heavy when he's running. It seems like he's he's a bit slower. So maybe, you know, the, the whole idea of bulking up has uh, has gone just a tad too far. Maybe scale it back to like 260, 265. Uh, that would be a start to, and, and see if that works. I, I Because if he loses some of his nimbleness and, and touch because of it, that would be a shame. Yeah, I'm not super concerned about it just because he's missed 
a good chunk of time and I think right. he needed to bulk up a bit as well regardless. So and naturally during the season players lose tend to lose weight. I mean there's no way they can maintain their pre-season or off-season weight during the season once they're sort of putting on all this cardio. So oh, I think tell naturally that to Oliver Miller back in the well, day. Well, well, he's maybe an outlier, I suppose. Um, I, there's a few more, but I, I think Wendell will trim up during the season. Like yeah. like you said, he talked about his conditioning and needed to be a little bit more conditioning, uh, more conditioned. But to your point, I mean, if he just makes two more of those baskets, those gimme baskets around the rim that we can't, we know he can do, all of a sudden three from nine shooting night becomes five and nine, right. is above 50%. He has 12.8 rebounds in that example. And then you're thinking in his second game back, it's a pretty damn solid night. But I talked about the Wendell-Carter-Zach Levine combination before, but using Wendell-Carter as that DHO sort of player where you can sort of just get him the ball, having him put in, I guess, creating space for Levine with those dribble handoffs. And he did that tonight for a Levine corner three. And I think Carter can rack up two, three, maybe even four assists a game simply by just having that two-man connection with Levine or Kobe White, whoever the player is. He's going to be such a good DHO option for the Bulls, assuming they let him... I guess, use his creative passing talents. Yeah, I agree. I also want to see some DHO action with Markinen. I really want to see those two work uh, together just a little bit more. Um, well, it, let's it, let's talk Lowry because... Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think this this is a bit of concern for me, but maybe go on with that and maybe we can launch into marketing because I think if there's one, I won't say negative, but maybe one minor concern yeah, that I have worried. a preseason. I could sense that on Twitter. You were worried. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'll explain myself, but uh, maybe you can sort of dive into what you're thinking about marketing and, and maybe how he's being used. You were sort of just going to using marketing as a DHO option. That hasn't really been something the Bulls have been doing, but uh, maybe you can talk about that. Oh, no, I meant Carter as a you know DHO option and then basically marketing being used as the typical guard ball handler, like the guy right, coming right, off. Right. Because they haven't that been doing be that at all. I mean, marketing sort of just been sort of spotting up in, in that catch and shoot yeah. role, which is a bit weird at the moment. Well, he. I would say that I will say this. Markin had a very nice uh, pick and roll with with Luke Cornett, which was that's two seven one guys. I, honestly, I don't know if if, if Markin is seven one, but when he's introduced at the United Center, he's introduced at seven one. That wasn't the case last year, so that's a note. But like he got a screen from Luke Cornett, took one or two power dribbles and put, pulled up for, uh, you know for a mid range jumper, which he nailed. I, I thought that was fun. Just two seven one guys playing pick and roll basketball. That I like that. Um I think for Markinen right now, he's just trying to navigate the offense. I'm I'm not concerned whatsoever. I think he's way too skilled to be, you know, a problem in that sense. The, right now there are so many miles to feed. Like Levine is looking like a guy who might average twenty seven, so that's gonna take quite a few shots. Otto Porter is no longer Washington Otto Porter. He's an aggressive, freed-up Otto Porter who is going to take shots as well. You also have to factor in that Carter is going to take shots. Uh, Tomas Satoransky, I know he's a low-volume guy. He's probably going to do be that for the rest of his career, but he's also a guy who needs to find rhythm. Like, he didn't even take a three last night. Uh, you have off the bench Kobe White, who's a gunner. Luke Cornett, who's a gunner. Uh, Ryan Archidiagono and Chris Dunn are both going to take shots. Thad Young is going to take shots. So right now, Markin is basically trying to figure out a way where he can maintain a high level of volume while also being efficient. And uh, yeah, right now he's he's basically trying to survive off his three while you know seeking out spots. And 
I'm not worried. He may have a slow start to the season, but he'll figure it out. He's just way too smart. What I like, though, uh, in regards to Markkinen, and and nobody really talked about this last night during the game, at least on Twitter. Everyone was like, what's happening to Markkinen? Yes, he did pass up a few shots, but he also found players for better shots. He only registered one assist. But that was just because they missed. Like the Bulls, let's be honest here, they only shot 32% from behind the arc. I mean, 46 attempts were nice, but there are a lot of missed threes as well, including from Markkinen himself. But he made the right choice whenever the ball landed in his hands. Like if there was a guy who was open, he would make that pass. So he's not a, a liability as of yet. Uh, and he's not going to go 0 for 6 on many nights from downtown. Like, let's agree on that as well. It's just a matter of him figuring out how do I get my 13, 14, 15 shots a game. Um, in today's league, it should be possible to have three guys get 15 shots a game. But the Bulls just have quite a few more guys who could come in and take a lot of shots. So this is just about figuring that out. I, I'm not worried. And also 11 boards. Yeah, I mean, he's rebounding well. That's been something he's been doing in preseason. But that concerns me that he's he, a guy who's meant to be a foundational piece to this franchise, is trying to find a way to fit in within the offense. Whether that's on him, whether that's on his teammates, whether that's on the coaching staff, whoever it is, I don't know who to assign the blame or or how to apportion that blame. If that maybe maybe even blames too strong a word, but I don't think it's right. fair to be expecting or, or, or essentially we're seeing every other ball on this roster making a step, whether it's Otto Porter Jr. like you talked about, he's doing more things off the bounce. It seemingly feels like every other ball has added one or two elements to his game and has shown that in this preseason campaign, whereas Lowry has sort of been a bit lackadaisical, hasn't really done much off the dribble, has been really spouting up and I guess playing in that glorified catch-and-shoot type role, which... I know he's trying to work his way into the offense and those sorts of things, but he's a primary piece here. I understand yep. that Otto Porter is going to take some shots, Wendell Carter, Sadoransky, Kobe White, etc. But he needs to be more aggressive, and we've seen him do that. We saw him do that in February, but the onus is on Lowry to do that. And I, I haven't been, I haven't liked the way he's gone about it. I suppose I know he's clearly talented. I'm, I'm sure he'll get it together, but. Yeah, I, w- I was expecting a little bit more from Lowry. I haven't seen it, so that's why I'm a little concerned. I'll, I just wanted to see a little bit more. Well, I think, you know, there, there's also the constant... Like, when you heard Stacey King on the broadcast, and I know that you should never take anything that he says to to, to significant value, at least. It, it's it's The focus on marketing and whenever to- everyone talks about him is, well, begin to set up in the mid-post. Like, maybe get some, a mid-range go, game going. Well, we've just seen Boylan come out and basically say, well, we don't want early shot clock uh, mid-range shots. Okay, but, but Markkinen is not a guy who necessarily takes quick shot clock uh, shots. And he's not a guy you really go to late in the shot clock. That's Levine. So he has to figure out a way to be efficient in in the mid shot clock to, uh, time and that's mostly off of threes and at the rim now does he have a problem getting to the rim yes he's he's always had that problem like he's he's a guy who plays from the outside and in but if he plays from the in and outside you know he, he's not a good enough post player to do that he's not a good guy he's not a guy who can facilitate points from you know from the low post and from the mid post all that well yet so 
his way of playing doesn't necessarily fit this new three-point shooting uh, Bulls as well. I know that Markkinen is a great three-point shooter, but that's the thing. Do you want him to become more than a glorified Ryan Anderson? Then you'll need him to take those shots. Then you'll need him to get some freedom, which means taking some of those mid-range shots that Boylan is kind of saying, let's not do that because that's the way he found rhythm. I mean, again, that Luke Cornett pick and roll. I mean, he came off, had one or two power dribbles, and that was a clean look, and he nailed it. I, I think you need to allow Markin to operate from virtually everywhere on the court. Like limiting him to threes and layups, I don't think that's the route to go with him. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't know what the right answer for it is at the moment. I think it's going to be something that the Bulls will have to obviously play around with. And I, and I got a few responses on Twitter from uh, from Tyler Plice, um, from B Train, and as well as Noel Mose. He and they all sort of suggested a similar thing, or at least touching on a similar thing. And they were talking about potentially splitting up. And uh, I'm, look, I'm I'm com- I'm con- uh, conflating all of their thoughts into one. So it's they're not exact thoughts right. that those guys had, but I think it was a general theme of their tweets to me was that maybe they should the Bulls, that is, should consider maybe staggering or splitting up Levine and Markin and potentially having Markin and playing more with that second unit and really forcing him into being that offensive guy. And look, I think that's right. the, the reason why Lowry is passive. He's more than happy to get the ball around to his teammates, which is commendable. But we, the, the Lowry we saw in February of this year or last season, we, he had to be aggressive because there was no option behind him that could really do anything. Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker were traded away. So those guys weren't taking any shots away from Lowry. And we all know about the injuries in that front court anyway, at that point anyway. So I, I, maybe if you do, maybe that will be something that the Bulls explore, maybe staggering Levine and, and Lowry and, and maybe moving Lowry into that second unit as a that second unit gunner, not necessarily as a, you know, not having him come off the bench, but playing him in the reserve right. units a little bit more. And I think that's going to be an interesting talking point moving through the season, particularly if he continues to look a little bit lost in the shuffle here. But um, I'm not worried about Markin. He's clearly talented. He's, he's obviously a very good player, but I, I just wanted to see... A little bit more. Maybe I'm going off the deep end to a degree, but uh, that's just the way I've seen it, I suppose. I'll say as much. If he hit three of those six three-point field goal attempts, we wouldn't have had this conversation to the same extent. Um, And also, there is merit, though. I mean, I'm not saying that I want Markkinen to be a glorified Ryan Anderson, but there is merit to having a seven-foot player being able to hit 200 triples a year. So if the offense dictates... You know that that Markin has to be you know a, a hot player from the outside, which allows Levine and Porter some more space to operate, and they become super efficient because of it. That's probably a sacrifice I'm willing to make, at least you know initially, and then let marketing as the season ages go into like, oh, okay, I know that I can you know hit three triples a night on I don't know forty percent efficiency. Well, this is this has opened up some driving lanes. Let me see what I can do. Let's just ease himself into it. I do agree overall with your take that he needs to be more aggressive. But I also think being more aggressive can be in terms of accepting a role and say, okay, I'm going to be aggressive in this specific role. I'm going to be aggressive shooting the three. I'm going to be aggressive like trying to just play off of other guys. Um, having said that, the ultimate goal, I agree with you, is that Markin has to 
approach and a type of NBA All-Star level. Not necessarily this year. I think the expectations that have been put on him this year are just frankly ridiculous. Uh, we're talking about a 22-year-old player, and the Bulls have you know, used every opportunity they've had to say, oh, well, Markin and Levine you know, have to come in and do this and this and that. Well, Markin is his third year. This is Levine's sixth. Like, There's a major difference there. I'm not on on board with the whole let's let's just force Lowry into this all-star type uh you know campaign I'm not there yet I think he's young I think I'm willing to give him some time absolutely this is only his third year so I'm not looking for his February to become you know a an 82 game thing uh from this year and onwards I I think he needs time well, you're more patient the man than I am, Mort. I'll give you that much, but uh, we probably already knew that anyway. But I want to move on quickly. I want to talk about the rotation because I think one of the, the key things about this Hawks game and even the last game that we saw the Bulls play was I think the key takeaway out of it was always going to be this was always going to be a bit of a dress rehearsal in terms of what the rotation was going to be for the regular season. Boylan effectively alluded to that himself pregame. We've already touched on most of it, but we know who the starters are at this point. Sadoransky's obviously right. been named that starting point guard, and we talked about the fact that Boylan is running that three guard bench off the off well off the bench with Dunn White and Archie Diakno with Thad and Lou Cornett as the backups. Do you think that is all the right rotation? Do you think it all makes sense? And and has Boylan made the right choice here? Yeah, I think so. I will say there's great flexibility here because um, I'm I come from a a part of the world where football I'm not and proper football <laughs> is is very heavy in the media and and one of the things that happens in football is you know coaches will make uh, starting lineups depending on matchups as well. Mm, yep. I think that is where the NBA is still a bit away. And that's going to be the next thing. We are, we've seen like positionless basketball. We've seen more focus on the three. For me, the next natural step in the evolution is dynamic starting lineups and dynamic rotations. And I think the Bulls are actually, they have a great advantage here because if you want more production near the rim from your backup center and you want, you know, more of a pick and roll option, you can actually say to Luke Cornett, Hey, you know what, Luke, tonight you're not going to play as much. We're going to put Daniel Gafford in as the primary backup at center tonight because it just makes more sense from an X's and O's games. But, you know, tomorrow when we play Team X, it makes sense for you to get going from the outside. So, you know, th- there's just a lot of different variables there to go with. And, you know, Chris Dunn being a defender, I know that he's in the rotation, but you can extend his minutes if it makes sense because of a certain matchup. You can you have Denzel Valentine, so maybe you need some shooting from the wing. Uh, that is more important. And you you know, take him up and and maybe put done down. Like there's there's just so many ways to do this. Um, so so I'm I'm very encouraged by the current rotation, uh, and and hopefully the Bulls will be one of those pioneers that, uh, yeah, make use of dynamic lineups. Yeah, and look, I, I gave Boylan some credit for the way he's been coaching last episode, which is something I wasn't expecting to be doing that so soon, but. Again, to give him some some credit here in terms of how he's managed ro- his rotations, and to that sort of point that you're sort of making and being a little bit more dynamic or being a being a little bit quicker to throw your rotations around, he's been doing that in preseason. Now in preseason, you're probably more likely to experiment with lineups, but today against the Hawks or yesterday against the Hawks, I should say, 
he was really mixing up his rotation. We talked about that bench unit, but there was times in that second quarter or the first quarter, whatever it may have been, off, he was actually having Wendell Carter playing with that second unit. And that second unit was really forming a nice defensive identity, which is something I wasn't necessarily expecting to see that much. Like I wanted to see a Thad Young and Wendell Carter combination with Chris Dunn and Ryan Archidiakono. Ryan that was something I personally wanted to see, but I just didn't think we would get there because I thought... We were going to get a lot of Thad and Lowry or Thad and Cornet or whatever the option was going to be. I thought Thad and Carter might be, you know, lower down the totem pole in that combination, but I really liked that Boylan mixed it up and went with that sort of all defense second unit to a degree where he put Carter into that reserve unit and that defense of that lineup was just absurdly good with obviously Chris Dunn sort of spearheading it at the top and Wendell Carter protecting the rim. So whilst the NBA probably isn't at the point where they're really I guess, ready to make those changes night to night at a starting unit. They can throw their rotation around, and I like Boylan doing that tonight. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, Boylan has been a, a very good coach. I mean, he's been a good <laughs> for, surprise, for, this for sure. Yeah, he, he has. I, I think Zach Lowe nailed it in this column uh, that came out, you know, uh, I think a week ago. Where he said that basically there's there's a good coach in Boylan. He just needs to stop all the buffoonery and and like the the cartoonish behavior. Like as soon as you strip that away, there's a good coach in there. I I think that's completely fair. Uh, because if you really look at it, like most of the issues that people have had with Boylan was you know his his quotes and his high school mentality of grit and grind, balls across the test the chest. I mean, when he shuts up and just coaches. It's pretty good results, at least here in the preseason. Last year, that was just still weird, like forcing Robin Lopez into post-ups. I, that one I'll never get. And, you know, you can argue all day long, well, it takes fundamentals. Yeah, but, yeah, but you knew that Robin Lopez wasn't going to return. So why? Yeah, never mind. That was just weird. And, and I think that's on him. But he looks much improved, much, much improved. He's accepted the fact that, you know, the three is essential, like shots at the rim. And that's where Vern Fleming comes in. And... Yeah, uh, I, I like what I'm seeing right now. And in terms of the lineups, he's mixing it up. He's trying stuff out. He's giving a rookie who's 19 years old the green light as well. I mean, how many coaches do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, actually. And look, I'm I'm prepared to go with Boylan's Boylanisms if he's doing the things that I want him to do as a coach. And he's clearly doing that thus far, thus this preseason. He obviously was not doing that last season. And that's why I had so much contempt for the man. But if he continues coaching the team like this and empowering the team like this, and in listening to his assistant coaches, I think a lot of what we're seeing on the offensive end, at least, is from Chris Fleming, given the way the Bulls are sort of playing. It looks very Brooklyn Nets-esque. I think he's listening to his, his assistant coaches, and that was my concern coming in. They, they made these good hires, but would Boylan allow them to implement their schemes and their ideas? And he's clearly doing that. So he deserves some credit, and uh, I'm more than happy to give him that credit when he's performing. I want to see more production. I want to see this into the regular season. But based on the five games that we've seen in the preseason, he does deserve some love, even if it is reluctant from me. But um, look, more, we've talked enough about this game, I reckon. I wanted to close, and I mentioned this at the top, but I wanted to close with Luol Deng, who announced his retirement today, but more importantly, retired as a Chicago Bull, as it always should have been. And I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on Luol Deng, the player, your your lasting memories of Luol, and uh, just the whole situation, I guess, the way it unfolded. It was a bit of a surprise, and it was really a perfect way to start, the, or to start yesterday, I guess. 
It was very surprising. I mean, look, this is a Luol Deng, first and foremost, a, a true professional, one of my favorite players of all time. Just a hardworking, no-nonsense wing who could guard the exterior, the interior. Like, did you know he only had one all-defensive nod? That's a crime. That's just a crime. And it was even the second team. Like, that dude should have three or four. Um, I was very surprised to see that he actually wanted to retire as a boy. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the botched spinal tap, <laughs> the the fact that they asked him to to basically challenge himself after he played on a broken leg. Yeah. Like, the Bulls did him no favors for so long. They were they were kind of dicks to him. Let's be honest. And he wanted to come back, and and you know he put every he, he put all of that aside and was like, you know what, I want to retire as a bull. That's that's I mean that speaks so much to who Luol is as a person, um, and and I yeah I mean I, I guess it was fitting in terms of like finishing up as a bull. I, I just I I'm I'm of the mindset what that whatever Luol wanted, that's fine with me. If he wanted to retire as a Heat or a Laker, like fine, doesn't matter. Uh, as long as Lou went out the way that he wanted to go out, that's that's good with me. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right, but. I'm more than happy to see him retire as a bull. He was here for almost 10 years. It, it felt right, and yeah. I'm glad it ended this way. And it, it's funny because when, when players typically retire, you, you know, it, it happens all the time. You think back to their typical their typical games are there or they, the, the games that we think about as classic, you know, den games or whoever it is a player is retiring their classic or their best games throughout their career. And I, I struggled coming up with what my ultimate on-court Luol Deng moment was because... I always felt like he was a player that gave you... He just gave you his baseline every night to the point where he was so ultra-consistent that he, ne- he never necessarily sort of trended too far down from his baseline or that further above it either. He was consistently just giving you that 18 and 7 each night. So he didn't necessarily have a that many signature moves, but I guess I'll always re- remember Lowell Deng as more so the person, the player. And I, That's not me taking a shot of... Deng the player himself because he was a fantastic bull, one of the better bulls we've ever had in this franchise's history. But I'll just I, I re- I'll probably remember him more as kind of the person he was, the leader he was, the mentor he was for this specific team, specifically through that that Thibodeau era where he was almost the glue of the team, and that's what I'll always remember Deng for. Yeah, I, I think I have a different uh, memory. Honestly, that was uh, under uh, Scott Skiles. Uh, the, that was the the sweep against the defending champion Heat. Yeah, I back mean the, in two thousand and seven. That, that's a good one. That's the only one I could think of. Like that was the moment where we were all sitting here and going, "All right, this guy is going to be a legit star." What twenty six and yeah. nine through that series or something like that? 20, 26, Yeah, I have the stats right here. Twenty six and nine, three assists, yeah. one point eight steals, and and not to be outdone, Ben Gordon twenty five and a half points, five plus rebounds, five and a half assists, oh, and over a steal a game. Those two were the driving forces. Yeah. Like I still remember back in the good old days, you know, when when we were both on real jam and, and whatnot. Like those two guys were were looking like future all stars. Those two guys almost single handedly just took care of the defending champions. Ah oh, man, I mean that is twelve years ago, which makes me feel super old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you two, maybe I don't know how you feel about it, but oh yeah, twelve years ago, my god. I mean, if you want to look, talk about feeling old, well, let me tell you something. My wife and I started dating a month and a half before Dang and Gordon had their NBA debuts. We actually bought that game on DVD because we didn't have League Pass. There weren't uh, streams back then in 2004. So 
like our entire relationship has lasted a full luol dang nba career <laughs> well i mean so yeah, yeah. The, the trials and tribulations of being an international fan but that's a, that's actually a nice connection to dang really it is i mean and 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 here's the thing when, what you really remember from lou it, instead of just like the on-court stuff it's just it, i mentioned it before the constant professionalism yeah. like he was just he's so prepared every single night a, a positive influence and here's the thing the, i would argue that right now dang would be a, a positive uh, element to this team like he i would i would probably play him <laughs> over denzel valentine simply for the fact that dang is the type of guy who takes his arm around somebody and says hey let's talk young fella <laughs> whereas that's not the kind of player i look at for in terms of denzel valentine um and Dang is just he's he actually helped improve so many players like Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, Joakim Noah. Like he was constantly in their ear, you know, being a positive influence, talking to them, not not ripping them in the media, not doing any of the negative stuff. He was just a guy who focused on development and focused on making the most out of what he had around him. I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah, I mean, he was a he was a it was a great bull, an underrated bull, maybe someone that we. He's the type of player that you don't realize how good he is until he's gone and when you see things start to fall apart. And I think maybe not necessarily straight after he left, but that, you know, in the few years thereafter, you miss a player like Dang. And I, yeah, I'll always remember him as one of the better Bulls that we've had. He was a key member of one of the funnest periods of being a Bulls fan that I've ever had. So um, much yeah. love to, to Lowell Dang and uh, happy retirement, mate. But uh, yeah, I wanted to end on that note. I want to end it on that positive. I mean, we could have ended on the game news as well, given how well this preseason has gone for the Chicago Bulls. But uh, I think it made more sense to end on Luol Deng and uh, more, we'll leave it there mate but I appreciate you coming on and talking bulls with me and, and I love talking bulls when things are positive <laughs> it's it's such a weird thing I, re- I remember back in the day when when we were doing Dennis Potman <laughs> and I think we even actually ended up canceling the show because every time we recorded it was like <sighs> we have to talk about the bulls again yeah 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 yeah. Well, hopefully that, hopefully that's not the case going forward. Hopefully this season goes to plan. But uh, look, I appreciate you coming on. Tell people where they can follow you. They already know you've been on the show 12 million times. But in the odd chance they have, they don't know, but uh, let them know right now. Well, thank you first and foremost for having me as always. That's, that's always gracious. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MSJNBA. Uh, try to keep it simple. And I also run the podcast, the NBA podcast uh, with Brian Zaporek. It's not the most creative name, but it uh, it seems to be working. People are finding us and you can find us on every major podcast platform out there. You can also find my, find my work on Forbes. I, I write, uh, yeah, about the NBA on Forbes uh, right now doing a whole division preview thing, uh, splitting up in, in six pieces that I'm working my ass off on. So go check them out. Perfect, mate. Well, like I said, appreciate you coming on. You'll obviously be on quite a number of times as the season goes on. So I'll look forward to talking to you then, mate. But thanks again for today. Thank you, Mark. Have a good one. All right, Bulls fans. So that just about does it for this episode of the show. Thank you for tuning in. Before I get away, you can follow me on Twitter as well at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod. 
Send me an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, and I strongly encourage you to do so. We've got over 60 Bulls fans up in there talking Bulls all day. Hit me up on the email, send me an email. I'll give you the link to that. Be part of something. So thank you for joining me for this episode. Like I said, preseason has wrapped up for the Bulls. It's been a positive one. We can look forward to the regular season now. We'll be back again Monday talking Bulls into the lead up to this regular season. So look out for the next episode of Bulls HQ. We'll also be doing a special Blue Wire crossover episode with the Cash Consideration guys. So be on the lookout for that as we head into the NBA regular season. So Look out for all that. Thank you for joining me. We'll speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.